so you, by the way, welcome back. I'm really glad to see you again. Thank the you. last time that we talked, we talked kind of in general. So today we can get more specific, which is kind of like the kind of questions that you're asking. And there's a few things that we can uh, point out about that. Um, one of the things that you mentioned, which I find humorous, is that you're beginning to see differently now that before you had thoughts about why is the world bothering me? Or um, uh, why am I the victim of the world? And that uh, that's actually a, a very important awakening to see that we actually ask ourselves those kind of questions. That sometimes we get into the questions so deeply that we think that this is really an important question. But when we move back from it, we recognize, wait a minute, that question is irrelevant. That's not actually the right kind of question to ask. There's a lot of questions that people ask, and sometimes we spend many, many days, months and years thinking, pondering, searching and trying to get a solution to a question. And even if we get the proper answer to it, we'll toss that aside because we're looking for something else. Normally what's going on is is that. We think that we know how things are going to be done or how things are like the world is a cool place. But we always add that little extra kicker to it that the world is a cool place to me. Yeah, <laughs> rather than just seeing it as a cool place to be avoided. Because if I go into the world, then the world's going to be cruel to me. But if I'm not in the world, the world's not going to be cruel to me, but it's still a cruel place. That's the important kind of distinction to wake up to is that the world, yes, the world is cruel, but it's not cruel to me. It's not cruel to you. That when you go into the world, you're being cruel to yourself in a world by uh, in a way by just going into a cruel place and you know it's cruel and you go in anyway. Most likely because you want something. And so this is an amazing awakening now. This is part of the path. This is one of the very first things that people begin to understand is that it's not the world's problem that it's that you see it as cruel. That's not the problem. The world doesn't have any problem at all. You can call it cruel if you want to. The world's been called cruel. The world's been called wonderful. This world's been called all kinds of things and the world don't care. <laughs> yeah. Right. So in fact, everything winds up being back on the individual. That in fact, what we're pointing at now uh, that we've been talking about a cool, cool world is what we're talking about is the first and second noble truth of the Buddha. We're just using it in a different language. That cruelty of the world is dukkha, but it's not the world that is dukkha. It's that we're calling it dukkha and we still mess with it and then get burned anyway. It's like, yeah, it's the firefighter says, yeah, that fire is hot. And I'm going in anyway, and then he gets burned. So dukkha is is not that 
do guys like a description of the world? Like do guys like a relation to the world? In a, in a way, you can say that dukkha is your attitude. Okay. Your attitude about things. That in fact, many, many people coming to Buddhism will understand that life itself is dukkha. But that's a really easy uh, delusion to get past. But we have to do it often because many people have talked themselves into life itself is dukkha. But life itself is not dukkha. If I hold a gun to your head or a, or a sword to your belly and say, okay, you've got a choice to make. Do you want to live for the next 10 minutes or do you want to die now? Which would you choose? Live 10 minutes? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. That's proof positive that dukkha itself is not life itself. But there could be a situation where one is laying there saying, please kill me. Right now, don't leave me suffering because I'm wounded badly and there's no medicines and I would rather die now than suffer for the next three or four hours and then die. Okay, that's possible. But normally people want to live because their suffering is not that bad. But sometimes people do get suicidal because they're confused. They think that life itself is suffering and the best thing to do to get out of suffering is to get out of life. But life itself is not. And when we're thinking clearly, we can see that. Yeah, I'd rather live. If I had a choice about living or dying today, I'm going to choose to live today. So. That's proof that life itself, and we can take that by extension, then the world itself is not dukkha. But when I don't like something in the world, it looks like the whole world is dukkha. So in fact, it's just merely that I don't like something. That's the dukkha. That's the, uh, the dissatisfaction. You see, the world and all of its goods and, and pieces and people in it are just what they are and it's our attitude about it and often our attitude is quite ignorant so if we see some pretty object out there we think oh that pretty object would look even more pretty in my house <laughs> and so we want it and then we come it's actually possible that we want it but it's either out of reach too expensive a delusion in the first place or simply not available. But now when we want it and we don't have it, before we even thought about it, before we wanted it, we were okay. But now that we want it and we don't have it, we're dissatisfied. Yeah, but it's like really, well, I find it really hard to be satisfied. Like my mind is always jumping from one Right, so you've been in the process of wanting a whole lot of stuff for a long time and getting some of it and not getting others of it and living a life that's got a lot of dissatisfaction in it because of the wanting things that you don't have. So the practice of the Buddha is really a practice that can be done uh, whenever we remember to do this little practice 
and that it need not be uh, in the situation of what we would normally think of as formal meditation. That formal meditation does have some good value to it, but uh, you can say that it falls in the category of useful, but not necessary. But it is so useful that it really moves people along that some people don't need meditation because they can remember. They've got the skill to remember. And so they apply that memory. And basically what the practice of meditation is all about is founded upon memory, which means basically to remember to do something as opposed to having a memory of the past come up. Okay, we're talking about to remember to come and be in the present moment to actually stop remembering the past and remember to be in the moment. That's basically what sati is about. And that's one of the factors of the path. In a Western Buddhism, they call that mindfulness. But this has a bit of a, a much different quality than mindfulness. In fact, mindfulness itself, the way that they talk about it, is pretty sloppy to where the Buddha is actually quite detailed about it in the sense of making it into a two-step operation. Mindfulness is just looking or paying attention in a way, but here we're intentionally remembering to keep paying attention, to remember to pay attention again, to remember to look again, to remember to observe again, to remember to investigate again, over and over again, to remember to investigate. Like, for example, let's say I'm, I don't know, shopping a carrot, and then like, oh, I remember. Uh So I put my attention like on the movement of the knife. Okay, that's exactly, or here's something that you walk into the bedroom where your mom is, and the first thought is, oh, poor mom. But then you remember. And you can brighten up and say, hi, mom, glad to see you. But the old way when we don't remember is we look at mom and we see she's so sad, and so we feel sad with her, and we go over and have a pity party with her, and everybody feels sad. But if you can remember, you don't have to have that pity party. If you remember, you can brighten right up. That's really the practice that we're developing, and that needs to be done both on the cushion or in formal practice and also all day long whenever we need it. So it's not only to remember to come back to the present, it's also to remember, like, I don't know, like, to change the attitude, for example? The change, that's exactly right. That in fact, we've only been talking about two of the items on the Eightfold Noble Path. And you're right, attitude is one of them. But in between there, the first thing that we do is we wake up and then we investigate. But we're investigating to see how things actually are. And in doing so, we recognize the difference between the things, the way things actually are, and our opinion of it. So we start looking at our opinions of things, or uh, a better way of talking about it is unwholesome thoughts. Opinions are unwholesome. Facts are wholesome. Okay. 
Okay, so our opinion of things needs to be um, investigated in the sense of is this thought wholesome? And that there's actually a difference in the change of language in some of the suttas. In one sutta, the Buddha talks about it as wholesome and unwholesome, but in the Anapanasati Sutta, he uses the word gladdening the mind or brightening the mind. Now, in that regard, what we mean that ordinary thoughts or opinionated thoughts will take us into opinionated positions or holding positions to where we, when we investigate, we can see all things and we don't necessarily take a position that this is good and this is bad. But we rather take the position or we begin to develop the attitude of, I could be satisfied right now. Whatever is happening, I don't have to uh, have opinions about it. I can just accept this moment the way that it is. So in, in that case, what we're doing is we're taking the effort that it takes to actually gladden the mind, to brighten the mind up, to come out of unwholesome thinking into wholesome thinking. Can there be like wholesome opinions? Pardon? Wholesome what? Opinions. Like can can there you say like opinions were unwholesome and facts were not, but can there be like wholesome opinions? Okay. Well, if that opinion is faulty, then how can it be wholesome? <laughs> Because I was thinking... But in fact, that's part of what the uh, investigation is about, is to see what's really there and also to see really what is not there as not there, as opposed to opinions means that I see some things that are there and I see some things that are not there. Okay. Okay, so what we're doing is, is we're coming into the reality of this present moment. Well, I can, like, for example, because I've been noticing this week, like sometimes when I try to gladden my mind, then my uh -huh. mind brings up a negative thought. For example, the other way, the other day I went for a run and I was trying to to be grateful. So I was like, oh, I'm grateful because I can run. And then my mind uh -huh. thought like, oh, my God, what if you lose your legs and you won't be able to run? And then I was like, Why, why would I think that? And I was like, yeah, but I have legs right now and I'm running right now and it's awesome. But that's, exactly. Is that like an opinion? That's, Because I was that's like... That's exactly right. And that, that, you can go so far as to say that thought, whether we're calling it an opinion or, or not, that thought of, oh, poor me, what would happen if I lost my legs and I couldn't run? Okay. That kind of thought is unwholesome, that in fact, the exhilaration that you had of running just went down as soon as you had that thought. A more wholesome thought is, I do have legs, I am running, let me enjoy it. That's real. Not having legs, in fact, is not real. That was, that, that was a, in a way, an opinion or it was a thought about something that wasn't real. It may be a possibility, but that's all it was. And it's not real in this moment. So if we stay with what's real, we can, in fact, enjoy our run. Yeah, and I mean, like, if one day I do lose my legs, like, let's just say just because I want to keep training my mind, then I can be like, okay, but I have arms or something like that. Oh, 
Okay, let's go with that. If you want to, we can go down that hole because it's actually something that eventually we need to discuss in detail together. And that is, is that while you're running now and you can feel good about running, then you're developing the habit of feeling good. And that's the important thing, because there will come a time when you do you lose your legs. The question is, when you do lose your legs, will you feel bad then? Or will you feel good because you developed the habit of feeling good? Here's what you're doing is, is that you're running and feeling good and then you're having the thought, what if I lost my legs and then you feel bad now? If you feel bad now with just the thought of losing your legs, how bad are you going to feel when you actually do lose them? As opposed to the practice here is never mind what's not real. Let's be joyful and happy about what is real. And I develop the habit of being joyful and happy. Then any reality that comes by, I can handle that joyfully and happily. But in fact, you will get old. You will get sick. And you will die if you're lucky. That's the sequence that it goes. It's also possible that you could lose your legs young. You can die young. That's not so lucky. The lucky thing to do is to get old, to get sick. And the older you get, the more leg difficulties old elderly people have. In fact, canes and staves and, and um, uh, wheelchairs are thought about old people. It doesn't necessarily happen that way. There are a few. In fact, there's one old man that I really enjoy a lot. He's always in the press because he runs the marathon in New York City. He gets to be a star once a year because he's already well over 100. And I saw him when he was first 104. Then he ran the race at 105. I don't know if he's still in it or not, but that's possible. But most people, if they are lucky, they will make it to 104, but they'll have trouble walking. Yeah. Okay. So when you're talking about thoughts about having lose your legs, guess what? That's probably going to happen. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I thought, because at that moment, it was really easy for me. Like, oh, I have legs right now. Like, I get to enjoy them now. That's exactly correct. That's the way to look at it is right now. Everything is okay. Yeah, but then 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 it's when I thought like, oh, but I have to be ready for for or if I lose my legs, I want to be okay with that, too. Yes, that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, you read my mind. (laughs) That's exactly what we're talking about is, is let get the mind okay. So that we can handle whatever happens, because there is going to be some things that we don't like come by. But when we get the mind okay, then when those things that when in our youth would the young person would think would be an absolute tragedy. But after you get your mind well, then the elderly adult adult is willing to let go of that. Here's an example in normal life, not in not in the normal noble practice that we're talking about, but just in ordinary life. If a mom is 20 years older than her his son, her son, and she dies when that uh, when she's 21 years old, then when that infant is one year old, more than likely the effect is 
that someone else is going to have to take care of that baby or it's going to die. That's how dependent that child is on his mother. Now, fast forward 10 years, and if the mom dies when she's 31 and the child is 11, he might be okay. But it would be a really big tragedy. In fact, the next few, gener- uh, next few decades, it would be. But by the time that the man, say, is 71 and his mom is 91, then it's much easier for him to let go. Because things have happened in the, in, for one thing, he's not living with her anymore. Or other things is, is that he's watched her get very ill and very sick. And he knows that that time is coming, et cetera, like that. But for the 11 year old, having mom die, that's a great big tragedy. All right. So if we look at it like that, then we can recognize our own human body is going to be that way. That when we're 75, then 95 looks okay. The next 20 years looks okay. But we recognize that, yeah, but there's going to be a lot of old age in there. And so we're going to be ready to handle that. Now, the 25-year-old does not think about how bad it's going to be when he's 45, because when he's 45, things are not going to be so bad. But once he reaches 80 and he's looking at being 100, (laughs) then he recognizes, oh, the human body, it deteriorates over time. And the question is, can I get used to that? And the answer is, is that if we're in good practice, certainly we can. To where many of the people in our society, when they get old, I hold, in fact, it's well known, it's part of custom that people get grumpy when they're getting old. Grandpa gets grumpy, but in fact, there's a movie called Grumpy Old Men. And they sit around together because they've got no other friends, but they spend time together and they're always grumpy and complaining to each other about each other. Because that's what happens when we get old, if we don't have the mind cleaned out enough to where we can handle old age with all of the problems that have come with old age. Is it because, so, like, if it's, like, cleaning, is it because, like, dirt accumulates, like, year by year, like, there's more dirt if you don't clean it or something like that? Well, more of it's like that if we have a habit of thinking away, then when something bad happens along that, it keeps it spinning and keeps it spinning in that regard. To where when you're young, there'll be things that can move you back out of that. But when we get really, really old, we get really stuck in a mind pattern because they have never practiced changing their their mind pattern. So the grumpiness that he had at 40 becomes even more grumpy when he's 50, even more grumpy when he's 60. He's getting really grumpy at 70. And when he's 80, he's intolerable. (laughs) Okay, this is how it goes with that that grumpiness. And it also has to do with body chemistry and whatnot. But let's not get into that. Let's get back to the point that now that you know. That things are going to get old. We can prepare for that in advance. Or a way of looking at it is is that if I can handle being 21 right now and do that really great, then as time goes by, I can handle being 75 and do that great. And I can handle being 95 and that will be great. And I can handle 105 and that will be great if I live that long. But if I do live to 105, I'm going to enjoy the heck out of it, no matter how bad the body has deteriorated. 
That sounds like a really good plan. <laughs> okay, so this is what we need to do then, is we need to get ourselves uh, with the right mental attitude while the body's working correctly. Yeah, because that's another thing I thought, like right now my mind is working fine. But I mean, like, because last year, for example, I had like a head injury and I'm fine and everything. But that left me thinking like, I can't like something can hit my head and like, you know, like my mind won't be as sharp. But right now, like my mind's sharp. Like I feel like okay. I need So let's enjoy it the way something. that it is now. Yeah. <laughs> But and get also into like, that habit of really enjoying what's happening right now so that if when we get hit in the head, we can handle that too. Yeah, because when I got hit in the head, I couldn't handle the pain. And I was like, oh, I don't have equanimity. <laughs> well, here's the point. Right now, you think you can't handle the pain. The fact is that you have not been hit in the head and you don't know. Oh, no, but I, I was hitting the head, but I mean, I, I'm alive, so I handle it. <laughs> I was just not equanimous when it happened. Right, and so, but that, we, we become, uh, let us say, we get into a one-down position or we get into a victim's role in the sense that we think that, oh, that getting hit in the head is such a big thing that I can't handle it. That people, in fact, have those kind of thoughts about, well, I can't handle dying, so I want to stay alive. And so we start having uh, opinions and beliefs in the sense of, oh, well, I'm not going to die. I'm going to be reborn in heaven or wherever, but we want to perpetuate life. And so we're afraid of death or we're afraid of uh, disasters that will happen. But instead of doing it wisely and say, yes, that disaster could happen, let's prepare correctly. Instead, we feel bad the way that, um, that we would feel in that disaster. But we feel bad now. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're thinking about a future disaster that may or may happen, and we're feeling bad right now. Like we're suffering because of a fantasy. <laughs> because of the thought. We're suffering because we're thinking about something that's not real right now. That right now you're not suffering. Right now you're not hitting the head. Right now you can handle things. All right. And when you do get hit in the head, if you have that kind of mentality, then you, at that particular point in time, you say, oh, this hurts, but I can handle this. Yeah. When we have that right attitude, we can handle this. I can take care of this. Even when we die, we can die with the thought of, I can handle this. So this is like what I want, like the attitude I want to cultivate is I can handle this. Like I yeah. can handle this. That's part of right attitude is I can handle this. I can do this. I can be successful at this. That in fact, that handling it is uh, a word that I'm using, but really what I'm pointing at is the attitude and the feeling of success. The attitude and feeling of being on top of the situation. 
and and mostly people go around feeling not on top of the situation but kind of buried under the situation regardless of what the situation is so now we have to learn to practice to being on top of the situations that we can be on top of and that will give us the skill then to begin to get on top of the situations that used to be way beyond us like getting hit in the head most people when they get in the head they can't handle it but if we plan on it in advance hey i can handle that then when i do get in the head i can say right i was right i can handle it so this attitude that we're building is based upon the original three we're talking about four items here the the first item is to wake up to investigate and look at what's going on to see the distinction between what is real in the here now in our sensory awareness versus what is not real what we're thinking about the reality is head's good the delusion is i'm getting hit in the head how am i going to handle that the answer is i don't have to handle that right now i can handle being really happy with the fact that i'm not being hit in the head right now and so we change that thought from an unwholesome thought what poor me will happen if i get hit in the head into hey i can handle not being hit in the head right now i bet when i do get hit in the head i could watch what's going on and check that out and recognize i can handle that too so it's like double because i'm being okay with not being hit in the head but i'm also anticipating that i will be okay even if yeah I'm... you'll be okay right even if the hit in the head kills you you can handle that too that in fact if you the the problem with handling death is not handling it at the moment of death the problem with handling death is all the thoughts that we have about dying and we don't die right that you're thinking about getting hit in the head right so you know that you also had thoughts about dying so instead of having unwholesome thoughts about oh poor me how tragic it would be that i died we can now have thoughts about death and have the thoughts of but i can handle that i can handle death i can handle anything and that in fact most people would understand that death is the very very worst possible thing that can happen to you i don't know right. like i feel like in the past i didn't thought think about death a lot and then when this thing with my mom happened i was like oh death but then it wasn't even dead i was like yeah i'm fine if i die but then what started to happen in my mind is that i started to see a lot of thoughts of being scared of suffering that's exactly right exactly and the thoughts of suffering is suffering right that you're uh you're thinking about pain and being afraid of pain and thinking yeah. about dying and being afraid of the dying and that fear and pain you're creating right here in the now the fact is, is that you're not dying that your body is not in pain but the fear of that is right here in the here now so we can actually come out of that fear by saying hey even if i have pain i can handle that that in fact you will be having pain long before you died 
you probably will have some pain before you call me next time. The question is, how are you going to handle that pain? And the way to handle this pain is to stop thinking about it as pain and start thinking about it as merely a sensation. So an itch is not a, an itch, it's just a sensation. That uh, a deep cut, a paper cut, you know, paper cuts can be very painful for people. But in fact, you look at the finger, it's not cut deep. Then in fact, probably the reason that the paper cut hurts so bad is not because of the cut itself, it's because some of the chemicals on that paper have now gotten under the skin. And it that's what causes a paper cut to hurt so much. All right. But here's the point. The hurt is mental. The finger is just merely a sensation. The sensation is a loud sensation call, crying out for this needs attention. And so we go and we bandage the finger and we take care of it correctly. But it's not you that's been sliced open. It's just the finger. That you're all right, even though the finger has sensation, you're still okay. So we begin to separate this in the mind that is just we don't call it pain anymore. We allow it to be just a sensation. Some sensations we like and some sensations that we don't like. And if I find a sensation that I don't like, then what I need to do is stop reacting to it the way that we've always done and start reacting to it as if you were your own medical doctor. Okay, so what that means is that if you've got a mosquito bite, we've got a lot of mosquitoes here in South Thailand. When there is a mosquito bite that itches, the right thing to do is to not scratch it because you can infect these mosquito bites with our fingernails and whatnot like that. And so we're very careful to not scratch. But what we do instead is put ointment on it. And then we take that ointment on that uh, mosquito bite like this one and rub and rub and rub and give it nice nourishment. Oh, this feels good. But what we normally do is, ah, I don't like it, I don't like it. Okay, and so we scratch and scratch. This scratching that we're talking about versus rubbing ointment into it is exactly what we're doing in the mind also, that we see something or we feel something that we don't like, and the mind starts scratching at it. And we need to retrain the mind instead of scratching at it, is to apply a soothing ointment. Or another way of talking about this is critical mind. Like, wouldn't it be terrible if I got hit in the head into the nurturing of, well, if you get hit in the head, everything's going to be all right. No problem here. We'll put some salve on it. You'll be all right. Okay. Or what if I get hit in the head and it kills me? And well, that's all right, too. We'll find a nice little box for you to lay in and you can just be happy and just lay in the box and be dead and everything's okay. All right, and so when we look at it that way, we can recognize that we ha we can, in fact, stop this mental scratching that we're doing over things, whether they exist or not. Because there's going to be mosquito bites, and so you can practice on the mosquito bite just like this by taking the ointment very carefully, not scratching, but putting the ointment on it. And so I've got some ointment here, and I can take that ointment out. This is Thai. They call 
there's sometimes tiger bomb and sometimes oh, monkey bomb. Oh, tiger bomb, yeah. Yeah, and so we take that and we take it and we put it on the, the thing and we rub it in and say, yeah, you're going to be all right, no problem. Okay, so we need to find that kind of thing for the mind too, an ointment, some some tiger bomb for the mind. Um, and when with that works, like for example, with aversion, like when I'm like, no, I don't like this, but something I have found this week, especially when I'm sitting on meditation, and for mm -hmm. example, this tightness in my chest, so part of my mind is like, oh no, I don't like this. But after a while, I can relax and like, yeah, it's okay, no big deal. But then my mind starts wanting stuff. For example, I feel like my mind starts like, okay, now I don't care about this, I'm fine. Now I want to get enlightened, or now I want something to happen. And I'm like, no, mind, chill out. And then it's the mind again, like, no, now I want something to happen. And I'm like, no, relax. But I cannot stop wanting. <laughs> well, that process you're going through is a new process. Congratulate yourself for going through that process. But here's what's happening. Normally we want and 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 we get ourselves <coughs> stuck in that place. Here you come along and start practicing correctly and you want and you want and you say, wait a minute, I see that wanting. You don't have to do that. Everything is okay. And then we want again and then we want to get, wait a minute, everything is all right. We can settle down and then we want and then we want again. Okay. The question is, is that not working? The answer is yes, it is working because before you wanted one, you wanted two, and then you wanted three and wanted four. Here you want one, you want two, you see it. And now step three is relaxed and step four is relaxed. And then step five is I want it, I want it again. So actually you're putting positive mind moments in there. If you want and want and want and want, you can get yourself into a really messy state. But oh, if you want and steps. want and then come out and then go back into it and want and want again. But here's the point. There's two things that are going on here. One is that you're developing the skill of seeing what's going on and that you can begin to sustain that so that actually the skill of seeing what's going on and putting a stop to it grows. But in the meantime, you can recognize that when the wanting starts up and then you say down, boy, you're okay, and then it starts wanting again, now is when the mind will say, wait a minute, I want to be relaxed and I'm not relaxed. <laughs> well, that's just more critical thinking. That's just a new kind of wanting. That this is something that every meditation student needs to be warned about. And in uh, the Goenka method, Goenka says, uh, just watch the breath. And if the mind wanders away from the breath, never mind, start again. Because what's most, most prone to happen with people in meditation is that they start watching the breath and then the mind wanders away into some unwholesome state. And they see the mind wandering away in some wholesome, unwholesome state. And it says, gosh, this is terrible. My mind's a monkey mind. This is no good at all. All right. I'm out of control. And that's the kind of thought. In other words, when we see the negative thoughts, we have now a new negative thought about it. 
what we're going to be practicing is, is when we see the negative thought, we're going to brighten the mind. And when we see the negative thought, we're going to see, aha, I saw you and brighten the mind again. And then we see the thought come up a third time. Aha, I got you again. You're not going to get away from me. Every time, you know, you get started into that stuff, I want to catch you at it. And this is how we begin to develop the attitude. The attitude is every time it comes up, I can catch it and stop it. It'll start up again, and then I'll catch it and stop it again. So, like, one thing is not a problem if I can see it and drop it. Like, I just have to do that, like, a million times, and it's okay. Like, I can just keep doing it, like, oh, I see you. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh, I see you, because uh-huh, I see you is a completely different thought. Let's say the thought is, what happens if I get in the head, get hit in the head? And then the next thought is, aha, I see you talking about getting hit in the head. Guess what? You're not hitting the head right now. Everything's okay. And then going along a while and then another thought like, well, what if I lose my legs? And we used to have those kind of thoughts for a couple of times. And then we wake up and we say, wait a minute. Look at that. I'm having thoughts about losing my legs when in fact my legs are fine. And I can come back to reality and I say, aha, I caught that thought of losing legs when, in fact, the legs are good. Aha, I had that thought of getting hit in the head when, in fact, I didn't get hit in the head. In fact, what we're doing is we're creating our own suffering through our thoughts. By having thoughts of getting hit in the head, it feels as bad as if we actually did get hit in the head. And then not only that, but then we get worried I'll never be able to handle really getting hit in the head because I can't even handle thinking about it. Yeah. And so we become afraid. But now we're going to change that around because every time we have a thought that's unwholesome, we can say, aha, I see that. Aha, I can fix that. Now, here's there's there's a little bit more to it. And that is, is that when we're having thoughts like that, that we attach to those thoughts, Almost as if when I'm having a thought of I might get hit in the head, we identify with those thoughts. These are my thoughts and that we uh, put a whole lot of weight into my thoughts and how important my thoughts are. What we fail to understand is most of the thoughts that we have are just secondhand. We borrowed those. We heard that someplace else. It's somebody else's thought and we're just repeating it. Just like a song. Normally, the songs that we sing are not brand new songs that we're making up on the spot. Almost always, the songs we hear or sing are the ones we've heard from somebody else. Yeah, like when you not hang not. out with someone a lot, a lot of time, and then just start like saying words that person says, or like mm -hmm. starting thinking similar to them, or something like that. And so we repeat things we've heard on the radio. We repeat things that we heard from our teachers in school. We repeat stuff from mommy and daddy. And sometimes we repeat really old stuff that was heard by a child who didn't know how to put things together very well. And so the memories of a child are generally not very trustable when it comes about uh, the memories about how to feel and how to react to things. And so the child... I mean, every child gets hit in the head. I don't know if it's possible to grow up without getting hit in the head with something sometime or another. 
And so when we do get hit in the head and we remember that, and as a child, we couldn't handle it. And so now later we have the thoughts of, oh, I can't handle it now any better than I could handle it when I was a child. And so we we tend to maintain that loser's mentality that we developed when we were a child. And we developed it with all of this information that we were getting from people. And so we wind up taking sort of a life's position of I'm helpless and I can't fix myself. To where the fact is, is that you can if you gather the skills together. You do not need help from a doctor or a psychiatrist or a guru or um, uh, a priest or a cop or anybody else. That when we were little children, we really did need help. We were dependent. But now we can take care of this ourselves. That's the new attitude is to come out of that child dependency mentality into you're a big girl now. You can handle that. Yeah, getting hit in the head, get up and let's dance. <laughs> yeah, and that's something like because I feel like I mean, I'm almost 30 years old and, and this year and the beginning of this year when I was like taking care of my mom and with my dad, one day I thought like now it's like if I am their parent and then I remember feeling like really shaken, like I felt like oh, like there's no ground, like there's no higher power than can help me. And then I felt so good. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And at that moment, I felt like I don't need to have like parents that solve everything. And I don't need like, you know, like a guru and God. And and for one, like for one or three days, I felt amazing. Then that uh-huh. faded. <laughs> but I feel like there's a part <laughs> of me that feels that gets stuck back into a victim and almost like a child, like, oh, I need someone else to fix my life. And I have to get out and be like, no, 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 no. Like, (laughs) you got this, like, you're not a kid. But I feel Mm -hmm. like even, I don't know, it's really sticky. (laughs) It's really sticky. It's really easy to slip back into that way of thinking. Right, but that we slip back into that mode of thinking simply because that's the default position. We have been thinking that way for so many years. We have been talking ourselves into feeling bad like that. So now we need to actually practice to practice to feel good. We have to talk ourselves into feeling good and we have to practice that. We have to practice gladdening the mind. Well, how could we practice if we don't remember to practice? You can. There's where sati comes in. We have to remember to wake up. Oh, I'm going to do this practice. And what is that practice? Is to look at what the mind is doing and then making an adjustment to brighten it up, to gladden it up. So if we're ha- in that moment, if we're having thought about, oh, well, what happens if I get hit in the head? Now we can brighten that up and says, yeah, we can handle that, too. Or another way of looking at it with these bright, gladdening thoughts that we're talking about would be um, right now there's no place to go and there's nothing to do. Right now in your room, there are no snakes or are no alligators. You can feel safe right now. You don't even have to think about getting hit hit in the head because that's not a safe thought. Instead, you can have a thought about... um, uh, 
how nice it feels when we rub that area of the uh, the head. In other words, if we're thinking about getting hit head, here what we can do is we say, wow, that feels really good. I can feel good right now. I don't have to think about this area getting broken because it's not broken right now. So we come back to the here now and we realize that things are not as bad as we had thought. Many people also um, have a task to do. Uh, an example would be going to the bank or writing an email. But we don't sit down and write that email, nor do we go to the bank when it's needed. Or uh, let us say that I've got to go to the bank within a certain period of time, or maybe after the money is in the bank, then I'm going to the bank. And so there's a time in the future, four or five days. And yet, if I am not mindful, I will think about that bank and mentally go into that bank a hundred times before I ever set foot hey. in that bank. Yeah, that happens That's so much. <laughs> right. Okay, so thinking about something that we're not doing and thinking about it over and over again is just a mental waste of time. And not only that, but we're trying to solve a problem. And if we actually go to the bank, we can figure that we can get that thing straightened out. We can solve that problem. But if we don't go to the bank, we don't solve the problem. So we're sitting here thinking about the problem and thinking about the problem and thinking about the problem, working ourselves up, feeling bad, and we're not going to the bank. Yeah, that happened to me last night while not going to the bank. <laughs> But there is like I discovered this like a wasp nest on the tree that's outside and it's really low. So I was thinking like maybe I should take it down or move it because if one day I don't remember, I'm going to knock it with my head and they're going to sting me. So all night I was thinking like, yeah, I should move it. And I was thinking like, yeah, but I need to cover my head and, you know, my body so they don't sting me when I move it. And I was thinking and thinking, and I thought about wasp like a lot of time, like, oh my God, like one day I'm going to hit them with my head when I forget they are there. And then during the day, I only walked there like five times and the five times I just leaned down and they didn't sting me. But I have thought about those wasps like a hundred times now, <laughs> but they didn't sting me. Exactly. You're that. Okay, so now we're talking about exactly right. You, we're, we're on the same wavelength now. You recognize that sometimes we have a thought, maybe not over and over and over again like that. We'll have it, and then a few while later we'll have that thought again, and then a while later we'll have that thought again. But we still don't do anything about it. We just have those thoughts. Yeah. And giving ourselves work to do and setting ourselves up for feeling like that there is something that needs to be done that's not being done. So really low grades of, of fear will come in, and we can call that actually anxiety. Mm. But there is another way about hand, uh, hand, handling that over that thing, and that is, is that you have the strong, firm determination that, hey, every time that I come under that thing, I'm going to duck my head. And then every time you do, you can congratulate yourself and say, yeah, I did fine with that. Yeah, it's okay. really so, easy, like just to this. Yeah, I can I can lay under that. I can handle that thing, as opposed to, oh, someday I'm going to bump my head. Maybe I should go do something about it. 
And every time we see that thing, we'll say, oh, I'll probably bump my head someday. Maybe I should do something about it. And then we don't do anything about it. Maybe it's even like a good thing because now I can practice sati by remembering not to knock my head against the wasp. Exactly. <laughs> now we practice sati for not banging our head, when, but we only are having to think of that, that moment when we're passing by that thing. And so yeah. that's the point of sati, is to remember that we need to do this at particular points in time when the, uh, the occasion arises. But you've got a physical sense, uh, situation there. That's a good practice item. Yeah, and I mean, like, even if I hit it, like, they're not going to kill me. Like, there are maybe, like, 20 wasps. Like, it's only going to hurt for an hour or so. <laughs> But I won't die. Or maybe not even that long. Yeah, maybe less. <laughs> yeah, just uh, maybe only a couple of minutes. But in any case, um, we're practicing correctly now when we do put our, uh, uh, dip our head because we remember to and we can congratulate ourselves. Wow, at least right now my head is not hurting. Okay, and we can practice that over and over again. And we can call that meditation. And it's nowhere near sitting on the cushion. But in fact, while you're sitting on the cushion, you do not have the opportunity of remembering to duck your head. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, and if that comes to my mind in meditation, like it's not real because I'm not under the tree. <laughs> so there are things, though, that we can uh, take care of when we are sitting in meditation or are sitting and doing nothing. And that is, is that when we have thoughts of bumping our head. Because we have those thoughts. We have the thoughts of bumping the head, going to the bank, doing things that don't happen, or uh, thoughts of the past, thoughts of the future, thoughts of uh, plans that we make. And instead of doing all of that, by waking up, we can say, hey, I could actually just enjoy being here now, just enjoy the moment without having to make any plans or fix anything, because right in this very moment, nothing's broken, everything's okay. Everything is fine, and now we start to nurture ourselves. You see, when we're thinking about everything that can go wrong, that's critical-mindedness, that's criticism. And what we need to practice instead is not a nurturing, or not a critical parent, but nurturing, to nurture yourself. Everything's gonna be all right. It just settle down and everything's relaxed, everything is fine, no worries. And this is what we would want to practice in our formal meditation, is to whatever mentality that comes up, we don't need that. We can just sit here and enjoy the moment. And in that moment, the enjoyment of it is being in the sensory awareness or in sensory input of the reality of where we are. So that means that we're paying attention to or spending mind moments looking with the eyes and listening with the ears and touching with the body and experience and watching and knowing where the hands are and knowing what kind of breath that we're having. So we become very much interested and curious about what the body is doing in this moment, in this reality. And we wind up watching that we're you know, we're putting on quite a show, and also we're the audience. Just enjoy the show. 
but we begin to pay attention to what the show is doing. We actually look, we actually start to investigate. Just like when I'm talking and I do my hands like this, I know that I'm doing this with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the way that we, we uh, begin to open up and notice all kinds of things that are happening right here, right now, as opposed to thinking about things which are not real not in this present moment. So right here, right now, in this present moment, there is no bank. Right here, right now, in this present moment, there are no gorillas. <laughs> there are no snakes. Everything is okay. And so we begin to start paying attention to what's real in the here now, in the present, and to come out of the thinking about or the conceptualized mind that is always in the state of judgment. Okay, so this is what we mean by wholesome thoughts versus unwholesome thoughts. The wholesome thoughts have to do with what's real right now. Here we are. And unwholesome thoughts about there we go, and I did that, and we've been there, done that, and that kind of stuff. And oh no, what happens if I get hit in the head? What happens if I die? What happens if I lose my legs? What happens if the bank closes? What happens if, you know, and we can do a whole lot of what happens and what ifs. And every time that we do that, we wind up feeling bad. Oh, what a tragedy. What if the whole world just kind of exploded and we would all die? It, wouldn't that be terrible? Well, actually, the likelihood of that happening is zero, but the likelihood of people thinking about it happening is very high. And they always feel bad when they have those kind of thoughts. And so having thoughts about everything is all right, no place to go, everything's easy going. Everything's a joy. Everything's a toy. We begin to take the importance of things out because when we're thinking about something, we always think about it because we've already decided it must be important. I mean, if it's important enough to think about. Right. OK, now we're beginning to say, wait a minute, that's not important. It's not enough. It's not important enough to even think about that. This present moment is too good to let that be important enough to steal this present moment. Yeah, yeah, like sometimes thoughts feel like really serious and they are actually like they're actually not serious. It's just like my mind feeling like, no, no, wait, this is serious. <laughs> and then I'm like, but but why? <laughs> yes, that's it. So we can say well, why do we even think about all of that stuff when I could be having fun instead? In that regard, what that means is that we begin to take the importance out of things and start seeing as if everything is already OK, then that means it is OK to tinker with it and play with it and have fun with it as opposed to, oh, it's so important. I've got to be very careful with this. Oh, I can't I can't examine it. I can't look at it. It's too important. All right. But we begin to see things that are uh, like, for instance, when we think of things as important, then it means that we're obligated or somehow that we've got to do something and we've got to work. Right. However, if we see everything as a game, everything is a toy, then work is no longer work. It's something that we're doing because we like doing it. We're tinkering with a toy. And so when that office worker has to get around to writing that email, if he's got the right attitude, then he can say, oh, that 
that email is a piece of cake. It's easy. I'm going to have fun writing that email to my boss. As opposed to, oh, no, I've got to write to boss an email. I, I'm so worried he'll, he'll get angry, you know, and all of that kind of stuff is because we see that email is important. When you recognize the email's not important, let's go have fun with it. It's By doing it that way, we'll probably get out a better email than if we thought that email was important. It's something that comes to my mind right now when I hear you, like a part of my mind is like, yeah, that's so fun, like everything's a game. But then another part of my mind comes and it feels like guilty, like, And I'm like, I think about other people suffering and then my mind's like, that's no game, you know, and and then I feel like conflict. Ah, but if you go suffer with them, will that help their suffering? No. Well, you just did that. <laughs> you thought of people suffering and so you decided to suffer along with them and it didn't do them any good. Now, here's an option. And that is, is that you have thought somebody's suffering in the mind and then you say, well, never mind, we can handle that thought and we can throw that thought out and we can get ourselves into a really good state. And so now we're happy and joyful. And now while we're happy and joyful and we just happen to run into one of these people that we saw were in misery, right? If we had been in misery because they were in misery, now we can have a misery party. You know, misery loves company. <laughs> pity parties and all of that. But if you now have gotten your mind clear and clean and bright, then you can share your joy with them and help them out of their suffering. So it's like okay. this like right attitude you were talking about is like the same, but towards other people. Exactly. Now we can take that beautiful attitude out there and do some real good with that beautiful attitude rather than taking our misery attitude out there to a miserable world. That you can take a happy attitude out there to the world if we can develop that happy attitude in our own mind. So this is why we want to practice, is practice throwing all of those miserable kind of thoughts, including all of the world hunger, all of the chauvinism, all of the uh, injustice in the world, and throw that out of the mind, And recognize that just because some people don't like some things doesn't mean that I have to hate everything. Doesn't mean that. That I, in fact, can start to like and enjoy everything. And if I can love to, uh, and become at, at one with the world, see the world as a friendly, happy place, then I can spread my joy and my friendship and my happiness around. But it really is hard to feed the hungry when they're more hungry for joy than they are for food. And you don't have either one. But if you've got that joy, you can feed them with that joy. And many yeah, people would rather have food, of the joy than the food. In fact, this is something that actually did happen in the time of the Buddha. There was a time when there was uh, a famine perhaps because of lack of rain or drought or something like that. And the people came to the Buddha. Did he give them food, two loaves and fishes and things like that? No. <laughs> what he taught, what he did for them was to teach them 
how to be satisfied with little, how to share the food that they did have, how to cooperate among themselves so that everybody wound up being okay. Normally, when there's famine, some people want to hoard all the food that they can get. The hell with all of those people. I can let them starve so long as I don't starve. <laughs> right? Well, that's what society is. In fact, capitalism is a starvation mentality. Whatever I've got, it's not enough. I'm still starving. I need more. I need more money. Yeah, I've got $5 million, but I need 50. And then so I hoard and I hoard and I get $50 million. And when I get $50 million, I say, 50 million is not enough. I need 500 million. And so I go and I steal some money here and there and rip off this people and start this company and make a whole bunch of money. And now I've got $500 million. And what is the thought? Wow. 500 million is not enough. I need 5 billion. And on and on and on it goes. Everybody feels like they're starving. Really what people are starving for is not for food or money. What they're starving for is the love that they will not give themselves. And so this is what you need to do for yourself is to start nourishing, loving, friendliness, everything is okay, stop being critical yourself and just accept the way that things are. And then with that mentality, you can go out and and be joyous and people will gain great benefit from it. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like, I don't know, like in this past year or years, like my mind shifted and became a bit bitter. Sometimes like, oh, the world, you know, like climate change and injustice and people dying. And like you said, it was a lot of thinking and not doing anything. So it was mm -hmm. just like suffering and not really doing anything. And and then I became even like more hopeless because I realized that and I was like, oh, but I'm not even doing anything. <laughs> and And now I think like, well, at least like every time I, I'm like, oh, I see that thought, I'm doing something, you know? <laughs> right. That's what we're doing. That's right effort. The right effort is to see that thought as past to the future, unwholesome, or uh, sometimes just downright cruel. Sometimes we have those thoughts. I'd really like to get him back. <laughs> yeah. He did me dirty and I'm planning on doing him dirty back. And we can recognize that those feelings are actually quite unwholesome. That anger, in fact, uh, is more harmful to the one who is angry than it to his object of anger. That, in fact, when people get, grump, get uh, angry over and over again, that's a sure sign then that they'll probably wind up when they're old is just being grumpy all the time is because we we harm ourselves with our anger, our displeasure. We don't like things. And so when we can change that around, well, it doesn't matter what it was. I don't have to get angry at that. I can be okay. And then we practice being cool. And in fact, that's actually the definition of the word Nibbana. The word Nibbana means to cool off. It was used for food that when you fix food, when it's cooked, you don't eat it immediately after it comes off the stove. You want to let it cool just a little. 
And so that, so we want we want to let things cool off, but, but it's part of our language. We say, uh, you know, cool down, cool off. When somebody's angry, we say, you know, cool it. All right? That's what we're looking for. Can you cool your own mind? Or are you going to have the kind of thoughts that keep you a little bit hot? Like thoughts of getting hit in the head and not being <laughs> able to handle it. That's a pretty hot thought. But if we can say, never mind, I can handle that. Then we can cool right back down again. So this is a way of, of thinking then is that wholesome thoughts or gladdening thoughts are going to help us chill, to cool, to be easy. And so this is what we practice. We practice chilling. We practice being cool. We practice being joyful and happy. That way we begin to talk ourselves into feeling good. If we actually practice thinking like that, we begin to feel really good. We feel nourished. We feel comfortable. We feel satisfied. And that's what the real teachings of the Buddha is about. Not some highfalutin way up there, magical Jesus or Buddha in the sky, but just you can feel good. You can feel good all the time. Yeah, because I feel like my mind also has like this weird idea of enlightenment. Like I don't even know what the idea of my mind is, but I know it's a lie. It's like, like I don't know, something out of this world, you know. All right. Well, let's give you a definition of enlightenment, and we'll finish off with this so that we can understand that word enlightenment. By the way, the word enlightenment is not a Buddhist word at all. It is a very much of a Western word, but I like it because it has some value. When we think of enlightenment, the primary word in there is light, and that we uh, it has two qualities to it. In fact, the word enlightenment fits quite well in the process of what we're talking about. The first kind of uh, enlightenment or lighten is like daylight or turn the lights on. That means to observe, to look, mm. to see. That's enlightenment is when you really see what's going on. And how do we see what's going on? Is because we're looking now, we're investigating. That's the first kind of enlightenment. The second kind of enlightenment is the kind of light that is not heavy, like lighten up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, what that means is, is that once we can see through the light what is heavy, what is important, what is grave, what is big, what is strong, and what is powerful, and we can see that stuff, and then we can cut it loose. That basically the teaching of the Buddha is how to lose things and all of Western mentality is how to get things. And so we talk about Buddhism then in the Western mentality of how to attain things, how to get this, that and the other thing, including enlightenment. Enlightenment is not getting anything. Enlightenment is dropping your load. <laughs> and what's the load? The load is, oh, I might get hit in the head, or oh, I might lose my legs. That's the load. The oh. thoughts that we have is the load that we carry that are negative thoughts, unwholesome thoughts that cause us to feel bad, that cause us to feel afraid. But Those are the thoughts that are heavy. Can you train your mind? So like one day eventually they stop or maybe it's like you train it and you just become super skillful at being like, yeah, 
It's okay. <laughs> Let us say that that they run out of steam when we stop stoking the fire. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> okay, when we stop stoking the fire, eventually that stuff will just simply run out of steam and stop. It will sputter for a while, but it'll eventually stop. But if we add some more fuel, we can get that steam back up. We can heat things back up again. So right? if I think like, oh, if I hit myself in the head, and then I start thinking like, oh, and then I'm going to, I don't know, be in a hospital. That's like drawing stuff into the fire. That's throwing more stuff into the fire. Exactly. But the thought of, hey, man, that's not happening. I'm okay right now. Then that's throwing some cool water on it. That's throwing some salve on it. Yeah, everything's okay right now. I don't have to think about being hurt because I'm not hurt right now. Being in the reality of this moment is actually quite marvelous. What happens is, is as we wake up and learn the skill of satisfaction, we begin to see how marvelous things already are. Things are really marvelous. I mean, being alive is such a marvelous thing, and knowing that you're alive is even better than that. And to see the green of the trees and the movement of the air and all of this stuff that's happening is just quite a symphony going on all the time. And all we have to do is just enjoy it. To become part of it by just being there with it and enjoy the moment. This is what the practice is, is to be here now and enjoy it because and we become very grateful for having such a marvelous moment. One moment after another, after another, and everything is okay. No place to go and nothing to do. And the spring comes and the grass goes all by itself and everything is okay. And so we can relax. <sighs> you make so, it sound really simple. I like it. <laughs> it is simple. But we have to do it over and over again because the default is, oh, I might get hit in the head or, oh, I might lose my legs <coughs> or any of those kind of things that might happen that don't. That we need to stop planning for disasters and start enjoying the fact that we're not having a disaster. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. Yes. And so just nurture yourself. Allow yourself to be okay. Wow, finally. That another way of looking at it is, is that we never fully get rewarded for all of our behaviors and all of our actions. I mean, you learned your ABCs, you learned your one, two, threes, but you never gave yourself a great hearty congratulations for that. So now you can. You can congratulate yourself for how far you've come. You're here now. You've made it. Yeah. Isn't that marvelous that you that you made it here? Here you are. Everything is okay. And so you can begin to take credit for the fact that you've gotten yourself here. And everything is fine. Congratulations. You made it. Here you are. <laughs> you made it all the way into this present moment. So this is this is kind of that knowledge that we're talking about is the knowledge that this present moment is just fine. 
And because we can see that this moment is just fine, we can drop the burdens of all the preparations for how bad this moment could possibly be. And also of how better it could be. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to worry about how better it should be. We can just enjoy the way that it is now. Yeah. It sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> So now you know more about how to practice. This is how we practice. Not sitting on the floor uh, like a stone statue or something, pretending to be <laughs> this or that while we're still thinking about all of the disasters that could happen. No, we actually now are really waking up, paying attention to what our mind is doing, and then changing it into something more wholesome. And that's the practice, and you can do that on the subway, you can do that riding a bicycle, you can do that while walking, you can do that while you're tending to your mom, you can do that while you're sitting on a cushion, doesn't matter. But practice. I will. <laughs> I will okay. practice. Each time I remember, I will practice. Excellent. Well, we'll talk more about uh, some formal practice next time. But right now, you've got it. You know what to do. I do. Thanks a lot. I'll, I'll see you next time. Call All right. Soon. Thank you. Okay. See you. Bye bye. Bye.